0: Welcome to the ProfServe Traction Podcast, dedicated to exploring how professional services and technology businesses break through the ceiling. Here's your host, Steve Preda. So good day, dear listeners, Uh, Steve Preda here, and uh, I have as a guest today, Morissa Schwartz, who is the owner of Dr. Risi Writing and Marketing, which is an SEO social media management and PR company and the latest client by the way she is also the proprietor of gans publishing which helps new authors launch their books uh, she herself is a multiple uh, amazon bestseller author she holds a masters in pr doctorate in arts and letters and i'm great to have you on the show uh, welcome thank you so much i'm so glad to be here It's awesome to have you, Marissa. So so tell me, how does one become a PR and uh, someone with a writing background, how does one become an entrepreneur? That's uh, pretty uh, special, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it all just kind of went hand in hand. So when I was in high school, I was looking to, you know, I, I loved writing. I had self-published a book in high school and I loved writing and I wanted to do something. You know, all my friends are getting jobs at the mall that they hated that weren't going to impact their future careers. And I wanted to be able to start working on my passion, which was writing. So my mother found an article in one of her women's magazines about freelancing. And here I was a 17 year old and I'm like, I could try this. So I went on to a freelance website and um, I, I edited a children's horror book and it went so well that she recommended me to another author friend who recommended me to another author friend. And before I knew it, I had a nice line of clients that I was able to edit their books for. And uh, that led me to then clients asking me if I could copyright for them. So I started copywriting, which led to them asking me if I could do SEO, because nowadays to be a successful copywriter, you you need to have SEO on there because if it's going to be online, you need it to be uh, findable. So I just kept freelance writing and built that into a business. And, you know, I realized once people want SEO, both social media goes hand in hand with SEO. So I hired people whose expertise was in certain types of social media and graphic design and just built up the team that way. And PR, of course, goes so hand in hand with writing because, you know, you write a story. It's good. You need it to get out there. You need somebody to see it. So PR is, you know, pitching it, pitching it to different periodicals and and hoping that they publish it. So a big part of writing is PR.
0: Yeah. And this is such a big topic because I know many of my clients. I personally, that's why I hired you, your firm. Because, you know, we, we as entrepreneurs, we struggle with how do we get the word out? We know that we have a voice, but how do we do that and do our building our business and serving our clients at the same time? And I've been very, for a long time, very reticent about how, how am I going to uh, allow other people to speak in my, in my name and how does that even work? So can, can you just give me a little bit of the psychology of this thing and the philosophy of Dr. Rissi, how do you get someone's, you know, how do you amplify someone's persona through through writing and through social media and PR?
1: Yeah, there are a, a number of things. Uh, the first is research though. Almost everybody on my team has an advanced degree. I, well, everybody on my team has an advanced degree. The question is how advanced? I mean, a lot of us have master's, things like that. So through that experience, we learned how to do research very well. I mean, when you're going for your master's and when I was going for my doctorate, I mean, 90% of our work was just doing research and looking online. So by being able to do that, we can adapt very well to learning about somebody's topics, becoming a subject matter expert for them and writing about it in their tone. But we also make sure that we uh, we have an onboarding process where we do uh, ask them certain questions like about their tone. So I have some clients where they want to only remain professional, no jokes, just complete suit and tie kind of writing, whereas others are like, yeah, let's have a personality. Let's be humorous. So we like to find out what the client, what kind of tone they want to have through our, our writing and our, our outreach. So we we make sure that we do that. Uh, we also have in the past for certain clients done interviews with other subject matter experts in the field. So we wrote a lot of white papers and eBooks for HP, and we must've interviewed six different hp employees just trying to understand the technicalities of the iot that we were writing about whereas you know research just research alone wasn't enough we need to actually talk to those engineers and and learn okay this is how it works so sometimes it's interviewing most of the time it's just a lot of research and then there's a little bit of give and take where then once we write we send it to the client and we say okay you know we we try our best we do our research we wrote these what do you think? And if it's in the client's voice and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's approved. But if they say, you know what, in my industry, we, in my industry, we wouldn't call it a bolt. We would call it a screw, like, like little things like that. Sometimes they'll they'll correct. And then we know for the next time, okay, that's how we're going to do it. And you know, we have clients that have been with us for four years. We don't even have to show them the post same but usually beginning clients just to get their tone. There's a little bit of give and take.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, uh, the way you explain this, it, it reminds me one of my clients who is a government con- actually a, a company that helps government contractors uh, get more business. Oh. So I, I essentially, write proposals for them and 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 the pitches and help them win business. And one of their core values, they have five core values, and one of the core values is engage with content. Engages with content. So they were looking for per- they are looking for people to hire who has this desire maybe it's curiosity or you know we call it the high fact finder people who who have to get all the details in the background of things they want people who immerse themselves in the raw material of that particular business to really understand their content to engage with it and then they can write these superb proposals that will uh, win um, very competitive bids. yeah
1: that's great that is awesome
0: so, uh, so how, how does one become a great writer? How do you, uh, I mean, how do these people train to, to be able to do that, to, to, have, to be able to do the research and kind of uh, get into the skin of other people and speak with their voice? What's the process there?
1: Yeah, I mean, everybody has their own process, their own way of doing it. For me, and the advice that, I, one of my favorite professors ever, it was actually my first week of grad school. And he was this very mild-mannered, quiet professor. But somebody said, well, how do I get over writer's block? And he had this attitude. He's like, who do you think you are? Get over yourself to get over writer's block. That what you write is never going to be perfect, but just get it down on paper. And then you can edit and improve it. And that stuck with me. And that's kind of why I've told every writer I know, just write it and then you can edit it over and over. Something else, my personal thing, and not everywhere is like this, but I love voice recording myself. So if I have an idea or if I'm working on something, I will voice record it and then I will sit at my computer, play it and type it. And while I'm doing that, I'm self editing because then I'm eliminating a step of the editing process. And, you know, I tend to, if I'm talking, I'm being a lot more honest and open than if I'm just like typing something out where you can risk sounding a little robotic. So I love audio recording and writing based on that. But the research is super important and knowing where to research, where to look, you know, Google is great, but there are other platforms, uh, you know, that you can find mainly through your local library, or if you are a, somebody who has access to university databases. There are a lot of wonderful tools where you can find just lots of articles that aren't indexed on on Google. Um, things in, in like older uh, periodicals, older research, things like that. Of course, Google is a is a fine resource for something simple, but um, I've used EBSCOhost for years to if I'm working on you know like that HP IoT article. You use that and find all the scientific. You know, you go into Ebscohost Science. Boom, there it is. Yeah. So all those are really helpful. Outlining also. You know, I'm a voice recorder, but I know people who they'll just write an entire outline and then basically just fill in the blanks for themselves. That's another great way to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, what I find very useful when I want to write something is is the mind mind mapping technique. So you just sit with a piece of paper, and sometimes I I get the uh, inspiration. In the evening, when I'm very tired, maybe I have a beer and I kind of loosen up, and then I just start mind mapping, and I can have a whole idea or a chapter of book mapped out, and I just have to follow. You know, number the sequence of the ideas, and I just go through, and then I can. It's my process. I can then write my my stuff. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, you mentioned the the writer's block. A lot of people talk about writer's block, and one of my favorite songs is for Van, from Van Morrison, the songwriter. I don't know if you know that song. I know. Yeah. I am the songwriter and uh, I can, you know, I can do it whenever I need to. Even if I'm hurting, I can do it. And, uh, and the checks comes in the mail. And I love that song because it really talks to the professionalism. And if you are professional, you just you just do it. That's pretty cool. So so going back to your business and how you, you build that up. I mean, you've got a lot of people now, right? Your website. I mean, I saw like 15 or 20 people and you've got more actually on on LinkedIn. So how do you, uh, how did you build your business? Did you have some kind of a framework in mind? Did you use uh, some ideas and, and processes to build it up?
1: Yeah. So I had this client that I worked with for four and a half years and he taught me something that has really stuck with me and it's that whenever you hire for a position you should always hire three people you know for uh, for a trial you give them a paid trial job and of those three one is always going to be mediocre one's gonna be okay and one is going to be really good so you keep the one who's really good you have the one who's okay on standby should you ever need like a, an extra set of hands and then you say thank you very much to the mediocre one and that has really helped me so you know. Yeah. In growing, yeah, in growing my business, being able to do that and, and give like trial, pay, pay trial work, because there are a lot of people also, and I've had people come to me. We literally just had this yesterday where they ask us, "Oh, can you do this example work for me?" And you know, in return, maybe you'll get my business. No, we don't do that. That's not, you know. But I always make sure I pay them to incentivize them, I'll make sure that you know they're it's fair. And yeah, you can really evaluate the work well by doing that. That's one practice that I found really to work. Also getting people who are referred or you know, uh so you know I've ha- tried hiring people off of places like you know, Indeed and stuff like that, and I've found some really great applicants. But when somebody is referred, then they are trying to live up to the person who referred them's expectations. So you mm-hmm. know, it's not just them that they're trying to make proud, they also don't want to make that person or hurt the relationship with that person. So uh people who are referred have done really well. And then third. I've hired a lot of people that I was a fan of previously. So I've hired several people where, you know, I'm an avid reader myself. So there are a lot of writers that i followed for years and I've had the pleasure of being able to hire some of them, you know, being a fan. Like there's one person, I, I was a fan, I would write fan letters to him in high school. Like, oh my gosh, I loved your article so much. Just as a fan and I was following him on social media, he started writing for us. So that's like the neatest thing in the world where you can get somebody who you legitimately know their work you know, then you don't have to do the testing. Then you just know, okay, they're awesome. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work with them. And then a few people on the team are just folks I've known my whole life who I, I would trust with anything, who, uh, you know, got into the same industry as me. I went to school with some of them and yeah, just having that trust is super important too.
0: So how much is, do you feel the personality of the leader is important? To what degree is it important to building a great company?
1: I think it's very important. So. That client I was talking about before who would hire the three people, he was a very tough leader. And I think you can probably tell, by the way, he would hire the three people and, and kind of test them against each other. He was the type where he almost worked on a on a fear basis. So you were always fearful that you were going to upset him. So you didn't want to upset him. So you would try to do your work really well. But motivating based on fear doesn't have a long term it doesn't work in the long term. I saw more people quit his team than any other client. And it was because they weren't happy. And once they realized that they weren't happy and if they would got, get another opportunity somewhere else, they would leave. Whereas with my team, I try to be as fair as possible, as accommodating as possible. Uh, I am stern and I am from Jersey where we're very fast paced. So deadlines are very important to me. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I saw uh, how being really like... Not understanding and just not having, uh, not being caring for your team can uh, really decrease morale. So we do a lot of fun things, like we do trivia nights. We just had a Hamilton trivia night last night. Next week we're going to do an, uh, the, from the show The Office an Office trivia. We do things like that because even though we're a remote team, it's important to have that bond. So we do a lot of things like that. If a team member, you know, is needs to take a, a day, no questions asked. Okay. You know, as long as the work gets done on time, it's it's okay. just trying to be very accommodating and, and kind and understanding of, of the team.
0: It's really fascinating. so you you talk you talked about your mentor, that you learned something from him, what to do, and you also learned something from him what not to do. Exactly So do the triaging with your hires but not to you know treat them too harshly. That's pretty cool that you're kind of not idolizing him and or her and just following exactly. everything, but just pick and choose. That's powerful, and uh, that's a powerful, powerful thing. So uh, so let's switch gears here a little bit, and let's get into the topic that you do and what I'm curious about. and this is SEO, search engine marketing. And you know we, we hear all these algorithms change all the time and, and you know Google is getting smarter all the time. Um, so first of all, how important still is SEO, and how do you generate great SEO if you're an entrepreneur?
1: SEO is is critical. But the good news is so many things that we do on a daily basis can contribute to our SEO. So when you post on social media, it's helping your SEO. If you have a podcast opportunity like this, it's great for SEO. People can search my name, they can search your name, boom, they find us. So those are good for SEO. Um, But it is, it's really crucial. And what I usually do is I like to give the example that we all do. Let's say you're hungry, you want a pizza. What do you do? You go to Google and you type in, Pizza or pizza near me, and you have maybe five pizzerias that come up. And then you know there were like thousands of pages showing pizzerias, but there you you pretty much just look at the five, the first five that come up because who has time to look through thousands of pizzerias? You just look at the first five. But what made those five pizzerias come up first when you type in pizza near me? It's not because their pizza is necessarily the best. It's because they have the best SEO. So what we do for our clients is work to make sure that they are those top five pizzerias or the top five authors that come up when somebody searches for the keyword that, you know, that they want to reach. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Uh, The first step is definitely optimizing their website, making sure that we have, I I like to put competitive keywords in, but keywords that aren't so competitive that nobody's searching for them, but keywords that are long tail enough that, that there isn't too much uh competition you know so uh for example we have a client who sells uh insurance so they're up against farmers and uh geico and all these huge companies where we see their commercials on tv every day it's very difficult to compete against them so we came up with the idea of using a long tail keyword of contractors liability insurance and now when you type in contractors liability insurance his company lands on page one on top of Geico actually, because Geico isn't thinking about a keyword like liability insurance, they're just thinking of a word like insurance. So it's definitely, there's a lot of strategy involved when you're thinking about the keywords that you're going to use and then the placement. So you have to do on the website in the text, you have to do on the back end of the website, and then you have to do offsite SEO, which is where posting on other websites comes in or doing podcasts or being featured on a high domain authority website. And actually um, the one thing to be careful of though when you're posting on other websites is you need it to be high domain authority, meaning that every website is ranked one to a hundred. A uh, hundred means that they have great domain authority, zero means, oh my gosh, they're spam. So if you get ranked on a website with a lower domain authority than yours, it's not gonna do anything for you. So for example, I have a website that has a domain authority of a 44. So every website that I get posts on, I wanna make sure it has over 44 and that's going to help my website to get up to like a 50. Wow. Yeah. And, and then the other components of that are once you have your on-site SEO taken care of, then you want to maintain it. So that's where posting blogs and social media regularly comes in. And that's where posting regularly or, or having articles about yourself come out in other places or podcasts regularly is important.
0: That's fascinating. So you mentioned that podcasts can help your SEO, uh, blogs, uh, guests. Postings things can help your SEO. What else can help your SEO?
1: Those are the main thing. I mean, really, it's, it's a few different categories. So that's why I like to categorize into our main areas where we do PR. So the PR is your podcast, your websites, and the higher domain authority of the website, the better. So, you know, we've got a lot of clients featured on Forbes. That's amazing for their SEO. The social media. Uh, when you type in a company, one of the first things that comes up is Twitter you, you want to update that regularly. You want to update your social media regularly. It just shows Google you're active. Google is looking for how active these companies are because if they see that you haven't posted regularly or you haven't posted a blog on your own website regularly, they go, oh, is this website defunct? You know, so they, they if once they see that it's being posted on regularly, they know, oh, this is an active website. This is a popular website. This is a website that high domain authority websites trust. We should promote this to our searchers.
0: Yeah, someone told me recently that when you start a podcast, it's really important that you are very consistent. And it actually, they told me that you have to do it for a year in a very consistent basis. And that's when Google starts to kick in. Is this really true that it takes a year?
1: Mm -mm. No, a lot of people say, so that's the same people who say, oh, you need to invest at least $5,000 in ads to see any revenue. No, I, I I don't, they give us a bad name. Um, I I think that within a year, yes, you'll see the best results. Well, usually within three months, you start to see the good results. And the way that I look at is through ranking. So we had a client who is a a doctor and uh, he also is a preacher and he wanted to rank number one in his area for when somebody searched for uh, preachers with doctorates. And within a month, we got him onto page two. Within three months, we got him onto page one. Within six months, he was number one when somebody typed that in. So it doesn't take a year in fact you should see your rankings move within the first month but it, it you can understand why somebody would say oh yeah we need a year because then the pressure's off of them then you know they could kind of take their time and keep charging their client month after month for that whereas you know with, with my company we like to be very honest and be like yeah you'll you'll see some progress after a month and the longer that we do this the the more progress you're going to see because that's the other thing with SEO once you stop you're not, obviously your rankings aren't going to go down right away, but you should consistently update them to keep them there. So for example, when COVID happened, we had a client who has an events company. So obviously they stopped investing in their SEO because they couldn't hold events, but their competition realizing that other people are going to step SEO started doing more SEO and they started outranking them. So we can't account for other companies and what they're going to do. It's, you know, like it's, it's, really about, so that's why their, their position stops. Like you're competing against other companies. So,
0: so you, you, are you following also competitors to your clients and see uh, what you need to do in order to be the competitors?
1: Yeah. That's why we uh, have some great tools that we use that show us competitors, the keywords that they're using and yeah, how to outrank them in those keywords, but also looking at what people are actually searching for. So, if a competitor is is ranking in a keyword where there's only like 50 searches a month, then it's not worth it. But if they're ranking in something where there's like a thousand searches a month, and you know it's a, a pretty easy keyword, then yes, we can definitely do that.
0: Uh-huh. That's that's fascinating. So, what about social media? I mean, how uh, that's another con- confusing subject to me at least. Maybe other people nail it, but I, I just don't know. You know, I hear that. You have to be really social, so you actually, it's basically networking online is what social media is, and if that's true, then basically it's not something you can out farm out because it has to be you personally, so it's kind of pounding the pavement, so, so help, me, help me out. How does it work, and how can a firm like you help someone out to not have to be there and still have a good social media?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of different components to social media. Uh, What we do for our clients is we write the posts. We research the hashtags to make sure it's going to get in front of the right people. We post those on a schedule for when it will most likely be viewed by the audiences. And that that does really well where then, you know, if somebody is searching for hashtag, you know, car insurance, let's say we're working with a car insurance company. And they find our client, they're they, they're going to DM that client. So in that way, you're absolutely able to farm that. Where we're creating the graphics and all that. Uh, the part that's more difficult to farm out, but that we still do, is is engagement and messaging. So if a client then takes that next step and DMs, you know, do you have a company respond and answer the questions, or do you respond yourself? That's that's where you know a lot of clients then they say, you know, I'll respond to the clients myself because I know you know, the specifics. If they're asking, you know, if it's like, we we actually work with a a car company and they sell cars and they're asking about the engines in the cars. Yeah, that might be something where the client could, could take that over, but we save them an abundance of time and get those people into their inbox through those posts and through ads. And the other thing that you probably can't farm out, which is newer, is like something like Clubhouse, where yeah, that that should be you actually talking and networking in Clubhouse, or even TikTok, where with TikTok, we can edit the videos, we can put the hashtags, but really should be the client talking in the videos to give the audience a better sense of who they are.
0: Okay. So you can basically farm out about 60% of it, roughly. And I would
1: say 90%. It's 90%? about 90%. It, it really comes down to it's almost like, In the olden days, like if you hired a company to send out mailers, you know, they're sending out the mailers. But then if somebody's interested in those mailers or they get in contact, they're going to contact you for the company. So this is. A little bit like that, but even more so, we're, we're still, t- so this is as if you sent out those mailers and then the person sending out the mailers was able to respond a little bit to the client. So let's say the client says something like, man, I love these mailers. I love what you guys are doing. This is great. The company can totally say, oh, you're so welcome. Please check out our website if you have any more questions. So it's most of it. It's uh, just like the more technical aspects where the clients will step in and actually take a phone call or a, a final discovery call before booking the client.
0: How about this idea of documenting the journey? And I hear people say, you have to document your journey. You have to be there and show that you're here, you're there. This is what you're doing with your clients. Can you uh, talk to this idea a little bit? Yeah,
1: that is important um, to show real life success stories and uh, case studies that's, you know, showing authenticity. So we do often ask for personal photos from clients that we can use in posts or professionally taken photos. You know, it depends on their tone if they want to be completely professional or have a little bit of Humor and fun in there. But yeah, yeah, we, we do. That's something as well where you definitely should be personal. And that's why places like Clubhouse and TikTok are doing so well, because they are so personal. They're, you're seeing the actual person talking, person behind the curtain. So audiences are really liking that now.
0: So what are the best channels for, for professional service firms? What would you recommend them use? Which kind of social media?
1: Yeah, it depends on... the the industry. I have seen for a lot of B2C companies, Facebook is still very good as long as you're doing ads. Facebook ads are probably the uh, most value, the most bang for your buck. I personally am running ads. We spent $50 this week and got 388 people who clicked on the link for $50. That's an insane value. If I went to LinkedIn, I would have been charged at least $2,000 $2,000 for that. So Facebook is very valuable when it comes to ads, but if you're gonna put out ads, you should have organic posts as well. So people know that you're legitimate. Uh, Instagram is also very good. A lot of people are on Instagram. It's very good to show your audience and you can also target them through hashtags, which is something you can't do on Facebook. And Instagram is a little bit less pay to play than Facebook. Twitter is also amazing because of the SEO benefits, not necessarily like everybody's like, oh, I don't wanna be on Twitter because there's just political talk on there all day. And that's true but if somebody is searching for your company and the first thing that comes up is twitter which it almost always is and they see these really great well-formed well-written tweets coming out they're going to be more prone to working with you linkedin of course is is a classic but not for companies like company profiles don't get shown to anybody what i always recommend on linkedin is having your personal profile have it connected to your company but post from your personal profile or share your company profile because their algorithm definitely favors personal profiles over professional ones. So always making that more personal. And more recently, Clubhouse and TikTok have really taken the world by storm. I haven't fully gotten into TikTok yet. I mean, uh, Clubhouse yet. I know a lot of people are doing a lot of seminars and things. I, that's not one that is my specialty, but I do know a lot of people are loving that. TikTok, though. I love TikTok. TikTok has amazing discoverability. I've gotten 4 million people watching my videos this month alone. Whereas, you know, I've been on Instagram and YouTube since I was a kid. Like I was, you know, for as long as they've been around and I got maybe 10,000 views a year. So to get 4 million in one month for not doing anything different, it just shows how their algorithm really shows you people. And I didn't have to pay a dime for that. All I had to do was stand in front of my camera and talk about, Things that I enjoy, so and and it's really neat and, and it's growing. So hopefully it stays like this, but it is growing and uh, people are seeing the value of TikTok more. So,
0: so Gary V has this suggestion of I think uh, he calls it the two cents strategy. Yeah, um, that he basically communicates to I don't know 90 people a day or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this sustainable? Is it? Is do people really do that?
1: Yeah, my team has done that it's an interesting idea. I like Gary Vee. He has a lot of really uh, interesting ideas. I think what's more important than that though, like you can do that, that's great, but you need to make sure that you're posting regularly on your own page because, you know, if you reach out to somebody and your page is blank or doesn't look good, they're not going to be interested in working with you. So it's important to make sure that your organic social media looks good and is being updated regularly before you go and start reaching out to potential leads. And uh, we have done that. We have had people respond to it, but it, you have to make sure that it's, it's a, an organic connection because as soon as you go and you reach out to them and then, you know, you follow up with some kind of sales pitch, then they feel used. They feel like, oh, that, that wasn't a genuine compliment then. So it has to be done in a way that feels genuine. Mm-hmm.
0: So let me ask you something that only came up in the last couple of days. I'm, I'm really curious about your take. So the company I'm working with is transforming into a franchise and they basically say that they do this because they want to have a unified brand. So all our, the licensees of the company, including myself, they, all, they, all, they want us to all migrate our website, basically close down our website, and then they're going to have this big central website and everyone will have a page there. What do you think? Is this a good thing for the licensees? Uh, are we going to get more uh, interest through uh, being part of a corporate page with a lot of money? Or is it better to have your own web page and try to attack the market individually? What's what's your thought on that?
1: So, uh, so with the main web page, are they doing it where they can still contact? I'm trying yeah, to understand. Yeah, yeah, they
0: can contact you. So basically, they have one central web page. Everyone has a microsite on it, oh. uh, which is which is uniform. So everyone has the same kind of mar- microsite. They have these modules, but essentially. It's the same information on every microsite. It's just different video and different picture. And they they don't, right now we have 700 websites. Everyone is doing their own marketing and they want to stop that. They want to do everything centrally. And then you don't, you, you basically farm down the marketing to them. And, you know, you, you hope that you're going to get more leads from them, from the central marketing, than mm-hmm. you're going to get from your own marketing.
1: Well, in theory, if their marketing works and they can do that, that would be amazing. And it makes sense from a a standpoint, like it seems like everybody's going to be saving funds because uh, rather than paying for each individual domain, just having it all on one centralized hub, it's going to definitely save uh, funds, but it's also going to give potential clients the ability to just have one website where they go to.
0: What are the Uh, pros? So what are the pros? So these are some of the pros, I guess, cost saving? Are there some cons to this? Oh, yeah. The, the,
1: I, the con, w- the biggest con I would see is if the marketing efforts don't work. Here, you have a bunch of different marketing strategies. And when you have all those, you have some that are bound to work and some that are bound not to work. Whereas if you're doing this, where you have one marketing strategy that you're using for everything, it's a little scary because let's say it works now, but things change, algorithms change. If things change too much, uh, then you're only using that one marketing strategy that that's a, a scary pickle to be in. But if they do it right and they're able to move with the changing times, then 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 it's a good thing.
0: That's cool. So let's switch gears here. Um, I want to ask you this question. I, I read on your website that you have this concept of the 360 service. Mm-hmm. What What does it mean? Like?
1: Yeah. So it's really four pillars. So we have PR, SEO, social media, and ads. And they all go hand in hand. You know, when you have good social media, it helps your SEO. When you have good PR, it helps your SEO and your social media because you can post those PR opportunities on your social media. When you have good social media, it also will help your ads because people from your ads go to your social media and see your offerings. And then, uh, yeah, I I mentioned four of them, but yeah, so that's, that's um, really how it works. They all go hand in hand.
0: Okay. And what do you recommend? So the business owner, uh, let's say a business owner wants to really supercharge their marketing and PR and they outsource to you their social media, their SEO, their uh, PR. What do they should not outsource to you? So is there a piece that they really need to keep in-house uh, to, to create that collaboration, make it uh, optimal?
1: Yeah, so I really wanted to be a one-stop shop for everybody. That's why I started doing 360 because you know, I, I see people, it's such a pain for them when they have to find somebody to go do social media and then they have to find another person to do PR. Like they're running from place to place. So I want to be a centralized hub, but there are certain things that I still recommend they do themselves. You know, the one is with TikTok, for example, I do TikTok consulting, but I don't film people's TikToks for them. That's something that should be personal because that's, those are the kind of TikToks that sell. Like people like seeing people on there, certain things like that. Like with PR, for example, we've had clients who have said, Hey, can you do the interviews for me? No, we can't. They want to hear you. They want to see a face of the company. So, and photos, same thing with photos. When we run somebody's social media, one of the first things that we ask for is any images, any photos that they can share with us, logos. Uh, those are things that we can't fake. You know, we can make really good graphics, but we need some personal photos as a basis for that Uh, people respond to people. So anything personal like that, those are things that you should not outsource also, you know, with that final, like closing with the client, depending on your business, like we're we're work with the supplement company where we sell hundreds of supplements for them every week and they don't have to talk to anybody, but other companies where it's more high ticket, you know, we work with attorneys and insurance companies. Those are things where we can't close them. They, they have to do that part. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, that's, that's cool. Okay, so it's good. That's a good feeling that I can outsource 90%. And then you give me the coaching or, you know, whoever you give your clients the coaching, what they need to do to add this additional 10% to make uh, this a powerful combination, right? Exactly. So in closing, I'd like to ask you, uh, what is your vision for Dr. Risi? Where do you want to take this company?
1: Yeah. I want to keep growing it. You know, something that started out as something I did as a a freelancer, as a student, I I always dreamed that it would come to this point where I could have a team and and build it up and scale it. But now I I really just want to continue on that. I want to continue scaling it. I also, I actually just made a a TikTok about this yesterday. Something that I've realized where I used to always, oh my gosh, if somebody wants to work with me, I was thrilled to work with them. And I still am, but I've learned there are certain clients that it's just, we can't work with. Uh, and one of the most obvious ones, we have students come to us asking us to like write assignments for them because we do writing. And we say, no, we, we won't do your, your writing for you. You know, uh, you know, even grad students, they'll ask us to write their thesis or something. No, we can't do that. And, um, you know, I, I've had a company that sells an energy drink. And they asked us to do the marketing and they were claiming all these things, oh, we'll improve your cholesterol, we'll prevent heart attacks. And we said, well, where is the scientific data proving that? And they said, oh, we don't have any of that. So we said, we're sorry, we can't work with you. You know, if you're going to be giving this harmful advice, we can't do it. So something that we've done is become a little bit more selective of the people that we work with. We want to make sure that it's ethical. We want to make sure that we can actually work with them. And that's, you know, just... That's something that I'm proud of and something I would like to continue to do. That's almost a luxury, right? To be able to say to clients, I'm sorry, I can't help you with this. So I'm happy that we can do that. I would like to continue scaling while being selective and only helping the clients that are ethical and that we know we can help.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, I love that philosophy. And and actually, yes, I mean, it might look like a luxury, but actually it is not because it improves your karma. So when you know, and when your team knows that you're really standing for something authentic and something positive, that's going to be an energy that's going to project out from the company, and and your prospect's are going to feel it, and maybe that's that's why I want uh, wanted to work with you guys as well. So you never know, you never know uh, whether it's a luxury or or a necessity, actually. That's a good so th- that's awesome. So um, so Marisa, if someone would like to learn more and connect with you, uh, check out your uh, you know your social media. Where should they go to?
1: Yeah, so we have uh, drrissieswriting.com. I also am on social media everywhere. I have accounts for Dr. Rissy, so you can find Dr. Rissy's <laughs> Writing and Marketing as a handle or my name, Marissa Schwartz, pretty much everywhere. And uh, we're the, I'm the only person with the name Marissa Schwartz, so you, you find me right away.
0: That's fantastic. Okay, well, uh, listeners, do check her out. It's, it's worth it. Uh, she does, uh, Marissa does really good stuff. And I'm going to continue checking her out uh, in the next, uh, at least the next six months when she will be helping me launching my book that I'll tell you about a little bit later. So, Marissa, thanks for coming on the show. I uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, our listeners, please stay tuned. There's going to be another recording next week.
1: This was the Prof Serve Traction Podcast with Steve Prada. To learn how your professional services or technology business could break through the ceiling with EOS, visit TractionEquity.com.